0: Are you here? Are you here? (laughs) If you think I don't know that you're here, listening to the Paul Leslie Hour, well, you got another thing coming. Okay. Seriously, we have an interview from the archives with Diane Shore. This was broadcast on FM radio years ago and hasn't been heard since. Did you know we got a lot of archival interviews like this just waiting to be heard? And you can help us in our mission to get all this content out there. Come on, be a patron of the spoken word and a supporter of independent media. Just visit the slash support. And we say thank you. Now, this interview with jazz legend Diane Shore was conducted by Paul E. Leslie just after Diane released her album, The Gathering, on Vanguard Records. Although Diane Shore is one of jazz's leading singers, The Gathering is a collection of country songs mostly written during the 60s. Produced by Steve Buckingham, the album features Alison Krauss, Vince Gill, Larry Carlton, Mark Knopfler, and Kirk Whalum on the horn. Diane Shore, or Deedles, as she's called by fans and friends alike. Diane has a career spanning more than 40 years. She's collaborated with the likes of jazz trumpeter Maynard Ferguson, the Count Basie Orchestra, the Caribbean Jazz Project, Stevie Wonder, Barry Manilow, Ray Charles, and bluesman B.B. King. She's a Grammy Award winning recording artist, and we think the word legend suits her perfectly. Now, let's get into that wonderful interview. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our
1: great pleasure to welcome jazz legend Diane Shore. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Paul. It's our pleasure. So you're here to talk about the gathering, but I wanted to go back a little further. Sure. I wanted to ask you about the first time you sang in public at the Holiday Inn.
2: Okay. I uh, was—I just turned ten, and it was in January of 1964. I think around the fourth of January. My mom and my dad and my aunt, who we called Aunt Bet or Betty. Took me to the Holiday Inn in Tacoma, Washington. Actually, it was in Fife, which is a little town outside of Tacoma. I remember that because there's a restaurant across the street called the Poodle Dog, of all things. I sang a few songs, one of which was captured from the previous album, Some Other Time. It was track 12, uh, September in the Rain. Uh, through the marvels of modern technology, we were able to do that to get that transformed and you know transferred to... CD and so on. Anyway, I remember doing this one particular tune of my mom's when I forgot some of the lyrics and you could almost hear my mother going, oh my God, you know, (laughs) and uh, anyway, I, I remember that. I think I was only nervous for a minute or so, but then I just kind of like got into the groove of it and actually had a pretty good time with it. That was actually my first, what you would call professional gig.
1: I think it's interesting that your first recording was actually a country single.
2: Yes. Tell us about that. Uh, Well, my father had taken me to the Auburn Elks. Auburn was where I was raised, Auburn, Washington. And Jimmy Wakely, I guess, was performing there. Jimmy Wakely was a country western star from the 40s and 50s. And I auditioned for him and... My sister and I flew down on Continental Airlines in March of 1971 to Burbank from SeaTac, that's the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport, in Seattle to Burbank, and we stayed at the Wakeleys' home in Toluca Lake, California, and I recorded this little 45 RPM record. The A side was Dear Mommy and Daddy. The B side was uh, The Sun is Shining, both of which... Linda Wakely had written, that's uh, Jimmy's daughter. And so I think it got to number 30 on the charts, on the country charts. My dad loves country music, and so that was my first attempt. One of three, well, one other single that year, and then another one in 1972.
1: And how did you kind of gravitate over to jazz?
2: I've always been a jazz lover. There was really no gravitating over. I really always have loved it. It's just the country thing just kind of like got me distracted for a minute. And then I went back to jazz, I guess, for a lot of different reasons. The, the love of the music. I left the Northwest in 1976 to pursue furthering my career in, in Tucson and worked Tucson, Arizona. I worked a bunch of clubs there, too, and and so on. I just love jazz.
1: A couple days ago, I ran into Doc Severinsen, and I wanted you to tell everyone about auditioning for the Tonight Show Orchestra leader, uh, Doc Severinsen, and that experience.
2: My brother, my twin brother, took me to the opera house in Seattle to see Doc Severinsen's big band perform. And then after the performance, I actually did a couple of tunes for... Doc, and uh, the Tonight Show drummer, Ed Shaughnessy, who at the time had a big band called Energy Force. So I auditioned for, for that, and then I was invited to come down to Los Angeles, so my brother and myself went. I performed at this club called the Etcetera Club, and I didn't make the audition. Doc told me I wasn't ready for stardom. I remember sitting in his office, and that's what he kindly but very firmly told me. And at the time, which was in about 1975, I, I was a little bit <clears throat> disappointed and turned around and went back home, went back to Washington State. But then an opportunity came later for me to work with Ed Shaughnessy's big energy force at the Monterey Jazz Festival, and I did that that year in September of
1: 1975. Now I want to talk a little bit about this album. The Gathering. What gave you the inspiration to release this album of, of country songs?
2: Was interesting is I had seen the Country Music Awards a few months ago, and I I thought to myself, well, Deedles, maybe it's time to kind of like change the path, uh, so to speak, not to get away from jazz, entirely, but to change direction a little bit and see what happens. That's kind of like, and I thought of the, the, you know, the tunes that I had done in back, back in 1971. And I thought it was, it was time full or come full circle.
1: What do you think about the album?
2: I really think it's a very well done album on everyone's part.
1: What was it like working with Alison Cross?
2: Oh, it was, Great. It was it was absolutely wonderful. She's a consummate professional and and a great vocalist.
1: I really like the cut with Larry Carlton, where it's almost kind of like a an it almost sounds like on Broadway, kind of.
2: Oh yes, I know. That's what I thought when I first heard the arrangement of it. Had you worked with Mr.
1: Carlton before?
2: No, uh-uh. no. It was uh, it was quite wonderful and, and magical. I mean, the call and response. Thing that we did at the end was really fun.
1: Do you have a favorite cut from the album?
2: I have two favorite cuts. The first cut, Why Can't He Be You? And uh, the fifth, the one that I did with Allison, Don't Touch Me.
1: I was going to also ask you about working with Vince Gill on this album, uh, the mm-hmm. cut with Larry Carlton. Had you worked with Vince Gill before?
2: No. No. No, these people were all handpicked by Steve Buckingham.
1: I also thought it was interesting that the album was recorded almost entirely in one day.
2: That's right. I just did overdubs the next day, just did all of the tracks over again pretty much, yes. I guess I must have done my homework.
1: <laughs> Is that normal for you? I mean, have you have there been other albums that you've recorded in one day?
2: No. <laughs> to answer your question, no. That this is this was a this was a new thing for sure.
1: It could be that because of your your background, starting off with that country music, that it was just resonating with you so much that it came out.
2: <laughs> that's very possible. That is very possible.
1: There's another album that you have that I'm a big fan of, and that's your album Midnight.
2: Oh yes.
1: Tell us about that album.
2: Well, it came out. I can remember the date on August 12th of uh, 2004. Or no, 2003, I'm sorry. What time, it's slipping away. Anyway, that was really a wonderful um, collection of songs that that Barry Manilow wrote for me. Very, uh, very special. It was wonderful working with Barry. And that took more than one day, I'll have you know. (laughs) But uh, we really had a good time doing this album. There's this guitarist Oh, and I can't remember his last name, darn it. His name's Eddie. I can't remember his last name, though, darn it. There was, um, Marty Panzer participated in the writing of this, of this, uh, of these tunes, and, um, I, I wish I had the CD right in front of me so I could read it, but I can't. But Barry Manilow did a great job of, of producing it.
1: So tell everyone out there about what's on the horizon. Are you going to be having any release uh, parties or anything for the CD?
2: Actually, I'll be in New York at B.B. King's on the 15th of, uh, of June. I guess that could be called a release party of sorts. I'll, before that, I'll be performing at Catalina's Bar and Grill the 10th and 11th of June that's in Hollywood. On the 9th, I'm going to the Grammy Museum, which will be a lot of fun.
1: Oh, very good. Yeah. When you look back on your career and all the people you've worked with, has there been somebody that in particular you could note as especially thrilling to have worked with?
2: Well, of course, two people, Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder, highlights of my life.
1: What was it like with Ray Charles? What was he like?
2: Very humorous. Really a lot of fun. A lot of fun working with him, for sure.
1: And what about Stevie Wonder?
2: Phoebe, he's in a class all by himself, Uh, just brilliant and very compassionate, just a wonderful human being.
1: When somebody goes to hear you perform in a concert or when they listen to one of your albums like The Gathering, what is it that you want the listener to get out of the experience of listening?
2: Whatever is going on in their life experience, I would hope that they, you know, it would touch something in them some sadness throughout you know there's still a current of an upbeat kind of feeling like in healing hands of time that was really a lot of fun with Kirk Whalen
1: I have two final questions for our special guest what is your all-time favorite meal
2: Uh, my all-time favorite Um, I would have to say, well, I go to this restaurant. It's called Jack's Restaurant here in Dana Point, California. And I would have to say one of my all-time favorites that they do is called John Dory. It's a white fish from New Zealand. And uh, I love sauteed mushrooms and grilled spinach.
1: (laughs) Grilled spinach?
2: Grilled spinach, yep. Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: I'll have With to check Charlotte. that
2: out. Yeah, It's really good.
1: My last question, for anyone who's listening to this broadcast from anywhere in the world, what would you like to say to all the people that are listening?
2: I would like to say that I love you all, and I really thank you for all of your support for all of these years.
1: Well put. I don't think anybody has ever said that to our listeners, that they love them.
2: Well, I do. Well, I
1: do. Well, thank you so much for this interview, Monsieur. Shura. It's been a pleasure to speak with you.
2: Thank you, Paul.
1: All right. I hope to see you in concert sometime and have a good one.
2: Thank you. You too. All right. Okay.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaullesley.com. That's thepaullesley.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.